Thanks for listening to this edition of the Lanco Worship Link Training. Each month, we get together to inspire, connect, and equip local worship teams. Find out when the next event is at lancoworshiplink.blogspot.com. Here's this month's training. I first met George over some French toast um, when I was on staff at, at Petra. Um, somebody invited us over, our two families, well, me and his family, and we had French toast, and that was the beginning of, it, I've played a lot, a lot, a lot of music with George um, at, at church, and I just tell you, you know, you know what it's like to play with people who kind of fit you like a, maybe like a Goodwill shirt, and some people that fit you like a, a tailored suit, you know, it's just like, this is just right, and that's kind of how George plays, um, drums and anything anything he plays um so i've appreciated george on the on the the musician side of things i've also worked with george a lot as as far as just worship ministry stuff he was on, on my leadership team there uh after i was was not at, at petra anymore he was the technical director so he does a lot of the technology stuff as well i've um, got, a, got a good ear for that good head for that so he's just really a well-rounded guy um also, he teaches, uh, some of you probably are his students, teaches private lessons, uh, also teaches at uh, LBC, he's taught at Kabat Academy, uh, he's from, originally from Texas, just like me, so that's cool, he got his uh, jazz degree from North Texas State, right? Texas State. So, um, yeah, I'm excited, George uh, does things in a real kind of laid back way, I don't know if you're nervous about today at all. If you are, you can relax, because like, George is like the least intimidating guy and teacher, a facilitator like this that you'll ever meet. He's nervous himself, so that's good. I wanted to kind of start off by asking George a couple questions to, to kind of get our heads wrapped around some stuff, because I, I really want you to get inside of his head a little bit. Um, there's some weird things in there. You don't want to go there totally, but there's some really good things, too. I know, just, just like you guys. Um, so tell us, uh, I wanna, I'm going to ask him three things, you know, what, what, is, what is your role as a rhythm section, either as a bass player or drummer, um, what's your role as you're serving in worship, um, what's your relationship to the rest of the, of the uh, um, like if you're a drummer, what's your relationship to the bass player and vice versa, how do you guys relate together, how do you, how do you think about that, and then what are some like ruts, some like wrong things, some ruts that you, that a lot of rhythm sections get into, Just some of those topics you Okay, that take well. that chair. Sure. Let me start by saying, you know, what's the role of music in worship? You know, we get into our thing where we're like, um, we, you know, we want to make this song sound good, so we're going to arrange it, and we want everything to be perfect, and you know, we, we want to perform this song well. But the bottom line for for worship is that we're we're serving a role to bring bring people into a horizontal relationship where everybody's getting into a vertical relationship with God. So so I see the role of worship leading really as a as a, a way to focus people. And so you're you're serving as a leader that's serving to to shape people's focus, right? So, you know, the we live in a culture that's all about entertainment. And entertainment means I've got to hold your attention. Like, you know, you watch TV, you watch a TV show. The main thing there is they're trying to hold your attention so that when the commercial comes on, you're still watching. Because that's what makes the money, right? So, so entertainment's about, I want to get everybody's eyes up here on me. I want to fix, fix their attention. I want to hold their attention. 
And that's what performing is all about. And that's, that's part of the art of performing. But worship goes so much deeper than that because there, there is always going to be a certain amount of that. Um, you're going to play, start playing music and that sound and that, that activity is, will get people's attention focused towards you. But at some point, what they, what they see when they look at you should start to point them in another direction where you become invisible to some degree and now they're focusing on God. So that's that's what we're after. So as a, a rhythm section, some of you are worship leaders, some of you play play bass, you're a rhythm section. So I, I was always a rhythm section guy. I started off as drums and then I played bass for a long time. So, so I always work with leaders. I'm not the guy up front, what we call in the show business, the front man, right? The worship leader is the front man. Um, your job as a rhythm section is to support the front guy so that he's not paying attention to you, basically. Only in a good way. Only You only want the worship leader to, to think about the rhythm section when he suddenly realizes, wow, I don't have to do anything anymore. These guys are taking care of it for me, right? Um, so as a rhythm section, our job is to make the, the worship leader feel comfortable so that he's focused on what's really important, which is focusing the congregation and people in worship. Um, and, and so, you know, all these little technical things that we run into when, we, when we're performing, um, those are the things that take away from the worship leader's focus. I mean, if, he had, if he's worried about whether the rhythm's staying together, whether the tempo's fast enough, whether the tempo's changing, whether people are hitting the right chords. Uh, and if he's having to constantly sort of direct the band and make sure that that's happening, well, then he's not really focusing on, on worship. Right? So, so the smoother we are as rhythm sections, the, the more the worship leader focuses on worship, the more the congregation focuses on the Lord. So, so that's the whole goal there. Um, in that sense, the rhythm section has, has a job. Everybody has a role in the rhythm section. So the, the rhythm section as a whole has a job, but every, every player has a role in the rhythm section. And if they know what their role is, it makes the job of putting a cohesive rhythm section together a lot easier. Um, so, so in a lot of training, nobody says, "Hey, you know, you're you're the bass player. Here's what you're supposed to do." I mean, some of you guys are guitar players that play bass, right? Anybody? <laughs> a lot of times, uh, I can tell when a bass player is a guitar player, and the reason is because he picks up the bass and he plays it in a different way. He tends to go high up on the neck, and he plays a lot of melodies, right? And so. So what that tells me is he's used to the role of being a guitar player. So the bass is similar to the guitar. It's, it's called a bass guitar. It's, it's tuned basically like a guitar, but it's down an octave lower. But the role of the bass is completely different than a guitar. So even though the instrument's the same, its role is not the same. And that's true for acoustic guitar and electric guitar. They're both guitars. They're both tuned the same way. You can make a lot of similar sounds on both instruments but the role that they have in the group are two completely different roles. So that's the kind of things that we want to get get into today because this is a workshop setting. So in a workshop setting, we're going to do 
kind of nuts and bolts. Try to get people to play, talk about the roles, sort of kind of flesh this stuff out and see what it's like in real life. The role of bass and drums is, um, the relationship between bass and drums is what Dave asked. And a lot of people understand that, but there's a lot of misconceptions in, in that. And, and you can read a lot of literature out there in worship magazines, worship leading magazines, and they, they do their best to try to give people quick ideas of, of how to, to execute bass and drums and get them playing together. I mean, like one thing you'll, you'll hear often, and I had a lady ask me this this week. She said, everywhere I go and I read, I read about bass and drums and it says the bass should play with the kick drum or the drums. She said, I just can't do it. I can't ever get my bass to line up with the kick drum. And, and my answer to that, I've dealt with that many times, is that, yeah, I can't either. I'm a bass player and a drummer. And even though I know what a drummer might be doing or what he should do, if I tried to line up my notes with his kick drum, I couldn't do it. And I'm a good listener and a and watcher. So that means that nobody else really can either. But, and, and so you say, well, why do all the magazines say that? And what they're really saying is that the drums and bass have to play the same, they have to be on the same page as far as where the accents of the song are. So, so songs have root accent patterns. And knowing what that is, is a lot more important than knowing the intricacies of the drum part. If you're a bass player, and you're focusing on the chords, and you're also listening to the worship leader's melody, and, and you're trying to play your part, you really don't have the time or energy to be sitting and listening to, like, what's the drummer playing on his hi-hat? And uh, did he hit a cymbal there? And, oh, yeah, what's his bass drum doing? Or is that the snare drum? You don't want to be doing that. And that's not what's important, because that's not what's important to the bass role. Um, likewise, the drummer can't always make his kick drum line up with all the bass notes, because the bass player doesn't have to put the notes where his bass drum should be. He has to put them where the accent patterns of the song are. So, so we want to learn a little bit about that today. We have a lot of different skill levels in here. And I've got three guys here that's, that are a group already. Let's start with you guys, because I know you can already play together, and then I can use you, and I'll just, we're just going to play through some easy stuff, and I'll stop you and all that kind of stuff, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, just play it and I'll pick up on it. So now I never played that song before. 
over, so I had to make a lot of decisions when the song started. Um, the, the first question is, did I play the bass with the kick drum? Did I play the same rhythm as the kick drum? No, I didn't. So where did I, where did I pick up my rhythm from? Guesses? Guitar. Guitar, yeah, I picked it up from the guitar. Um, so you've got this, you've got the, the drums are playing, boom, 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 boom. So they're playing a pulse, and that's a pulse because that's, that's a steady beat. So now as a bass player, I, I have to decide, well, should the bass line play a pulse? Should I just play boom, 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 boom? I could have gone that direction, uh, but I felt like it would be too stiff. Right, so I thought, well, the guitar is playing an accent pattern over the, the bass drum, so I'm going to accent that pattern because that seems to fit the feel of the song better. It's a more open, relaxed feel. Right, so if I if I had thought that I needed to play the, the rhythm of the kick drum, it would have sounded like this. Let's do it again. decide what to do. This time, play the same rhythm I play. <laughs> so you start. He doesn't know it, so he's listening. He's wondering, what am I going to do to this song? Same song, and 
there are principles that the, the more you know about music and rhythm, the more you can do different things. And um, they're not wrong, but they change things a lot. So, so now when we're, we're rehearsing and we try one of these things or the other thing, what, what's the judge of which way we go with it? What, which one do we decide, decide to use? Like, how'd you guys write that song? I wrote it on the piano first, and then you took it on the piano. Yeah. How'd you decide to come up with the thumping bass drum? You know what? I think, I want to say, did we record it before we started playing it live? Yeah. Actually, yeah, we did. And I kind of, like, the recording is different than the way I play it live. Like, I play, I don't know what. Yeah. It's kind of more driving live, I guess. Yeah. Right. Uh, the recording that we did is more, more mellow. And then like, when we give it live, it's more driving. The recording's like you'd hear it at the beach or something, <laughs> chilling. Yeah, so, yeah, I hear that as, in a musical way, I, I interpret that as meaning he probably left more space in the recording. And maybe the drum part had more space, and he wasn't playing every single beat, right? So, so there's things that, these things aren't right or wrong, but they have an effect on the music. And so, really, what, what that's me. Um, so, Really what we're looking at here is uh, to, to be a, a seasoned musician is you understand when you do something what effect it's going to have on the overall music and flow of things, right? Um, so the more accent patterns that you understand, the better you can respond to the, the different parts that you hear going on in the music. That pattern that he played on the guitar, go ahead and play that pattern again. sticks you hit together and the clave plays the root rhythm of whatever song they're playing at the time right so that clave pattern really if we complete it it would be this and that has a name they call that the song clave or I like to call it the bow diddly rhythm use this guy in the 50s and it's like And Bo Diddley really actually kind of was the foreshadowing of modern rock beats that way because um, you know his beat went something like this. Let's try, I have on the stand here, How Great Is Our God, you know that one? Yeah. 
We could do it in G, A. Well, how about G? We'll go G. Anybody got any observations about that? Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, the bass lined up with the bass drum. Did it was did it line up right at first? No, it took him a while to catch it. That I, which rhythm was he playing? Anybody catch that? He was playing this one. drummers probably will flip into the easiest. That's one of the more easy ones to play, one of the first ones they learn. Yeah, play that one. Song clavic. Now, I heard him play that, but I played the other one intentionally. Now, the other one is almost identical, except it's got one note moved a little later. Um, yeah, play that on the snare and bass. Just play a regular beat with that. Yeah. Okay, so listen to the note that's moved over. Yeah, keep playing it. things on and they can mix their own mix and they don't have any bass in there and they don't even care. They might not change. Um, so as a bass player, then what do I do? What would you do? Would I look at him and go, man, you were wrong. And then, or not say anything and then after the song is done, man, I, that drummer was wrong the whole time. Actually, I'm the guy that's wrong. Because I can hear where it's not lining up, and I'm not 
doing anything to make it feel comfortable, right? Because our role as a worship uh, team rhythm section is to make the leader not pay attention to us and the congregation. Anything that's not, not lining up and all that, that's stuff that can get in people's way, especially if there's like really musical people that listen to music all the time and they they can tell. And some other people might not even notice that it doesn't line up. Right? Um, so the point being there is that drummers and bass players, their relationship is to quickly get on the same page. I remember one time I was playing with Rusty back here and um, we started a song. And, and those songs, those, those accent patterns, they could go either way. Either, either one of those accent patterns could go with that song and it doesn't mess the song up at all. It doesn't affect the words or the chord structure of the song. So I, I just, this one thing sticks out in my mind. You get into the song, first bar, I played one, Rusty played the other. And then on the very next bar, I switched, and Rusty switched. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, he's listening to me. So I guess we could have just keep doing that and never been playing it the same, but eventually we just hit one. On the third bar, we hit, hit one together, and we just stuck with that one. Right? So it's all about listening and playing together. That's really what's important, is that you're together, not like who's playing the right rhythm. Um, on that original Chris Tomlin recording, I think it may the bass may be playing the accent pattern I was playing. I'm not actually 100% sure of that. That doesn't matter. The, the recording is a, a good place to start, but in a lot of senses, some of those choices they make are arbitrary. And they could have picked one or they could have picked the other, and it really wouldn't, it probably still would have been a hit song. It would have been a good song. You know, because it's really the song that matters. And as long as the rhythm pattern is working with the song, it, it's song's still going to be good. Right? So that's that's what we're looking for. We're learning to line up with each other. So the first rule of thumb there is that you have to be, the bass player and drummer have to be listening to each other. But then there's the third element. There's the guitar pattern. What rhythm were you strumming on that song?
Did it sound wrong? Not really. So the, there's a reason for that. It's because the, the acoustic guitar does have an accent pattern, but it's a high-pitched one. And, and if you think about the way rhythm instruments work and how they interact with each other, they have different roles. Like a drum set has a bass drum. It's got toms. It's got a snare drum. There's cymbals. There's other percussion that, that's in there. There's shakers, cowbells, wood sounds. There's all these different sounds of percussion. And acoustic guitar, its role is actually up more into what the hi-hat or the shaker. Now, now what does the hi-hat do on a drum set? Just play it like a normal beat. There I go with that beat again. Yeah, well, no, just play it like together, um, then you're in good shape, right? The guitar player can, as long as he's playing right within the right subdivision, uh, go ahead and play that beat again. There's four or five accent patterns in four subdivisions. There's 
And, and three is for most music, for most like pop music and worship music that we play in contemporary worship really sort of fits that mold of pop pop music. When you play in three, there really aren't that many accent patterns that are important. So the main accent pattern is one, two, three, one, two, three. So basically, anything that you play in that, in that accent pattern is good. How about you guys sit down? Thanks a lot. take one of the drum sets. Is there anybody here that's interested in learning how to use, we have a cajon here and we have a djembe. Is there anybody here that's interested in learning how to use those? I play them, but I, don't, I would like to learn technique. Make sure I'm doing it. Okay, all right. Well, why don't you come up, which one do you play normally? Um, yeah, just pick one. Djembe more? Djembe more, yeah. Probably gonna need this. To, Okay, bass players, raise your hands. Uh, okay, we'll go with Rusty. <laughs> guitar players? Once you get it, once you get it. 
little more shape to that. Now, what if we're really just feeling like we want to really shout? We want to make it really big. And nobody will complain about how loud it is. <laughs> they might. <laughs> oh, wow. I just want to know where my parameters <laughs> My experience is half the people will complain and half the people will say, I want that every week. Yeah. <laughs> if it's too loud, sing louder. Yes. Uh, okay, so. I wear a t shirt that says that. <laughs> to lead worship, that would be great. <laughs> Those were nice fills, Elmer. Now let's go for the simple. Big build up. Alright? Let's see how big we can make it. Now, once we get there, once we get to the big thing, uh, I'm playing my little ringy acoustic. I can only strum it so hard. Uh, Ethan doesn't have a lot of effects for his electric, so it's up to you guys to do something to fill it up. Let's start right on the verse this time. djembe, the djembe, the, the auxiliary percussion, the thing that's cool about hand percussion, put this over here, certain setups um, can mimic a whole drum set. So, the thing about the djembe is it has a low pitch. Sounds. And then 
pushing on the middle of the head and hitting the edge of the head. That's going to bring out the tones of the head. And I'm slapping it with the edges of my fingers. You see how this drum, if you look at a conventional American drum, has those metal rims, right? And those metal rims stick up. If I try to hit that with my hand, I'm going to bruise my hand terribly. Which I do sometimes. I play with my hands on my drum set just to get the sound of hand percussion. But see this head? Comes down over the edge of the drum, comes down really low. Right? And so you can hit this, your hand into the side of the head and your fingers whip in to get the, the pitches out. Alright, so any, hand, any uh, auxiliary percussion, as we call it, that is capable of producing low sounds and high sounds can mimic what drum sets do. Elmer, play me like a straight, basic rock beat or something. Okay, so he's got something playing a subdivision, a hi-hat, and he's got something low, and he's got something high. So this instrument is capable of doing that. Now, it's a little bit tricky because so far we just showed two sounds, right? But that's, uh, that set has three sounds going at the same time. So I've got my low sound, high sound. What I have to do between my low and high sound is create the motion of the high hand. So I'm in between, I'm putting my, I've got one hand that just plays the bass and snare. And I've got one hand that fills in the high hands. Plus it, it helps create, shape the sounds at the right hand's point. So I could, you know, pick any kind of drum set beat and mimic it. Reinforce the drum set, and I would need to play really right with it. Right? So if I'm going to play the same thing and try and reinforce what some other instrument's doing, then I need to play exactly together with it. Um, but what's more fun is you have this instrument, he has that instrument. Go ahead and um, you can play in the 6 8 beat. Let me play Shout to the North. Is it 6 8 beat? Yeah. Go on, we're going to play. Shout to the North.
is, I'm freed up now. Uh, I'm just going to play in between. But I've got to have pretty good technique at it so that I can hit those in between beats because they're not as easy to hit. And um, I have to make sure that I don't play mess up. I play, play against his accents. I'm not playing against them. I'm playing in the spaces. That means I'm still hearing the main accent, right? And again, I'm going to play that 6 8 beat again. I started going. that can take the place of a drum set. So a lot of times in coffee shops and stuff, the drummer will just bring his djembe and, instead of a drum set because it can mimic a drum set. And Rusty's sitting on the cajon. This is maybe even better for mimicking a drum set. It's a box with a nice piece of wood on the front. Inside... See, it has wires beneath that piece of wood. So if you hit that box right in the middle, you get the low sound. And then you get the high sound with the little wire in there. I don't know that mine's the greatest sound. I really probably need to adjust those wires so you get a little more snap. But the wires are to mimic a snare drum. So with this, you can... Same B. Same thing? Yep. I don't know, this 
That drum is a different sound. It's a you know, high pitch, and it can work against the drum set. But this one is almost designed to be the drum set. So, so I might not want to use this to play anything different than the drum set. The bongos, two pitches, another hand drum, can do just like the djembe, just won't be as low. shaker sounds and stuff going on. And uh, so we just rely on the drummer to kind of pound out the beat. But if the other people in the group would shake some shakers and do it well, it would really add a lot to the, to the overall sound. Okay, let's get a new group. Do you mind having more questions? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was curious what you do. This is what I use. This is a big one. It's a, it's a, it's a cologne that has a snares in it. Yeah. But each side has Can't make. 
<laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, that's what I would do. I mean, you have your low sounds. I wasn't feeling like I was getting enough snap from that. So I was whacking with my knuckles, you know. Because it's not supposed to be. <laughs> so, you know, um, professional conga players and percussion players, they take their, their fingers off like football players and stuff. Because you just really punish your hands on these things. Especially the, the wood. The heads are not too bad. You kind of kind of get away with not, not taping your hands up for a while. But if you're playing with a loud group and you're hitting really hard, yeah, it's, it's dangerous. Okay, who else? Who else hasn't played? Yeah, Ethan. Ethan's a left-hander, so he's going to be up there. You want to play bass? I don't really know how to play bass. I know, that's why you need to try now. You're going to talk about keyboard at all. Oh, yeah, I didn't talk about keyboard. Well, you guys get back on the keyboard. Yeah. Okay, the first thing I want you guys to pay attention to is the root accent pattern of this song. We'll just go through that chord progression at the top. It's um, as an intro, and then you can start singing. I'll cue you. Okay, you ready?
it's just, it's a trick question. It's just... <laughs> what we call four on the floor in drum in the drum world. Wait, that's what I said. Um, Alright, now, there's a lot of songs like this nowadays. It's just, in the bass, nine times out of ten, your best bet is to play either that or twice.
<laughs> on the other hand, it's great on a certain level because uh, musically, it's the same chord progression over and over. The intro's a little different. Well, no, no, it's the same chord progression over and over. Same number of bars, same chord switch the whole way. The melody's slightly different in the chorus and the verse. And so that means any changes that happen in the song have to come from the musicians. <laughs> you can't just sit there and play the notes over and over and have anything happen, right? So, so all the dynamics and all the drive and, and all this kind of stuff has to come from the musicians. So this time, Ethan, on the introduction, when we start, let's start off big. Smash your crash cymbals. Because that's really fashionable now to do. Alright. And then when she starts singing, just play your bass drum. And then you can add that snare like you're doing somewhere in the middle of that. Okay? Alright, so when we play the everybody play big on the beginning. Here we go. One,
And so that's the same thing as that we were talking about before with bass and drums. If if I hear, well, you know, what I'm doing is clashing with what he's doing, and he's not changing, he's wrong because on the recording, the keyboard player is playing way up high, or the guitar player is playing way up high, or there's no guitar there. Um, well, no. If if you hear that, if you can listen for it, then you can change, right? And then you can play somewhere where he's not playing. So what you're looking for is a space. And this is how you layer stuff up. So you have bass on the bottom. Then you have electric guitar. Electric guitar is cool, and it's the same thing as keyboard in that it can do a lot of things. It can reinforce the bass. Yeah, play, um, can you play those chords where you're just playing? Mm -hmm. Just one way and they won't change. 
Well, what do you do? Just stay out of their way. <laughs> because clashing with them is not going to really help anybody, right? Exactly. There you go. Right, but what... what see, that should, That could bum a person out. You could be like, oh man, I, I can't play all this other cool stuff I was going to play down here. But really... And, and this is why electric guitar players seem to be having so much fun. They're really the freest instrument in the group because the bass is covering the bass, the acoustic and the keyboards are usually covering the chords in the middle, the drummer's taking care of a lot of the rhythm stuff, and you've got the melody. Now, what does the electric player do? Every space in Anything he wants. Anything that he thinks can add to... He can play anywhere where anybody isn't, put it that way. Wherever there's not something happening, he can go he can go join the things that aren't happening. He can play something, he can play really high so that he can get out of the range of everybody, basically. Right? So keyboard can kind of pretty much do the same thing. So in other words, when you've got when you realize where you don't want to be, you're like, okay, well, I hear there's a lot of stuff there. I need to try to find someplace else to be. Well, that really should be a freeing experience, I guess is what I'm saying. Because you know where you don't want to be, so you have everywhere else to go. So that's where you can get to be, to turn on the creative juices, in other words. And, and you get a lot out of that because you start to hear sounds that you didn't normally hear before. Right? Yeah, music's a funny thing. I teach a lot of music, so I understand how... And, and I play a lot of music, and, and drums drums are a great instrument to start with, which is what I started with, because there's so much coordination involved, and and drummers tend to listen to the whole band if they're if they're going to be real real drummers. They listen to everything that's going on in the band, and things that go on in the band affect a drummer. The drummer is trying to hold together his coordination. He's got his feet in there, and he's moving around the drums, and if he doesn't come out right, he'll lose his coordination, and it's like riding a bike and just like losing your balance. You fall down. And and if, and if also, the way a drummer sticks his notes in there, they're there and they're done. Boom. So, when he puts something there, everybody knows it, in other words. You know, he can't just like hit a note and kind of let it hold out and maybe make it get louder later and kind of wait around and so when he puts something on a certain rhythm, it's right there. So in other words, the rhythms that everybody else plays affects the drummer greatly. He hears some guy that's like hitting slightly behind him the whole time. It's like he doesn't feel comfortable putting his note in that one place anymore because every time he puts it there, it doesn't feel like it's in the right place, right? Um, so, but that's true for all musicians. You have a certain level where you can function, where you can get to the chords. You know, you can, you know, you know that your fingers are going to get there. You're trying to keep up with the chord changes, and right. You know certain voicings, so you know you can get to those. And to say, oh well, I'm just going to make up something else on the spot that's in some other part of the guitar or some other part of the keyboard, isn't always an easy thing to do. In other words, to do that, you have to take some chances, and you're probably going to mess up. You know, if you start to say, oh, well, I'm not going to play three notes for every chord anymore right in the middle. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to play like almost like a line, like a string line or something. Well, you'll start playing that string line. And if you hadn't done it before, 
you're going to like get, oh, that note didn't fit the chord. Well, that was a mistake. I'll just go back where it's safe. All right. So I guess what I'm trying to do here is encourage you that part of learning how to, to put these concepts into practice is, especially in rehearsal time, you don't always want to do that during worship because it could be a distraction. Especially during rehearsal time and when you practice at home is to try those other things and you know, know that you're going to make mistakes and that's how you figure out how to, how to make it sound right. Okay. Who have we missed that needs to play? Now you can stay on base. Any other drummers who want to play drums? Yeah, come on.
Good. Now, what rhythm were you playing on the bass? It was good. It was, I know I did. It was right in there. <laughs> I'd seen her every place, but I...
the drums, you can help out when things get bigger, you can open up. You don't just have to stay on the hi hat. You can go over to those ride symbols and all that. And how about Tom Phil? Have you used those yet? Not really. But he's got to keep practicing that. Got some more stuff to do. All right. I think we got everybody in there wants to play. I think it's about that time. Yeah, it's cool. So. You can do that on every instrument. And it's, it's not how much, it's it's where. And you can you can play very busy and it can really work well if it's placed right. But the busier you are, it's like talking. You can talk a lot and then you'll say something stupid probably. So, if you talk a lot, you have to be one of those personalities that thinks fast. You know, so that you filter what you say so you can really mean what you say. And that's the same thing with music. It's a lot like it's a lot like a conversation. So it's really a matter of listening to what's going on and interacting with it and having a conversation with the other musicians. And if you're not listening to them and you're playing busy, well then you're that person that walks into a room and just starts talking and doesn't really listen to what everybody else is saying, right? So you don't want to be that person. Um, yeah, any other questions? Um, just a comment. One of the things I find myself saying a lot in a rehearsal is um, you're one-seventh of the sound. You're one-sixth of the sound. If everyone plays like they're it, <laughs> it's like they're the sound that needs to be the focus. Well, that's good. Dave's got a thing... The hundred percent principle. Okay. Yeah. It's not mine, but yeah, I talk yeah. about it. Well, I've heard it from you. <laughs> well, everybody's a percent of the sound. That's exactly right. And and that was the kind of point I was making about keyboards, acoustic guitars, electric guitars. If everybody comes out right off the bat and just plays the whole way through and acts like it's they're playing solo, then you're not going to have a good cohesive sound. The, the art of recording, if you, if you were to go back and listen to your favorite songs and go back to the studio and pull out the tracks, the individual tracks of each instrument, you'd probably be shocked because what you would hear is something like a few notes, nothing. A few more notes, mm -hmm. There's a lot less for each instrument. There's a lot less in the track than you think's really there. Um, yeah. So the the big sound comes from layering. And the thing we were talking about here is like putting something in every range. But you know, I mean, like what you're saying. Can you play too busy? That one man's too busy is another man's, you know, virtuos virtuosity. Uh, it's like that movie Amadeus about Mozart. He plays the king his piece, and the king's like, too many notes. <laughs> well, I don't know. Mozart was a pretty good composer. Did he put too many notes in there or not? To that guy's ear, he did. And said, so, you know, art, art is not a right and wrong, and there's no formulas for art. And that's, that's the beauty of it. It's as, it's as deep and... Um, subjective is just human interaction, it's personalities. Because art is an expression of people. People people produce based on who they are. And so that's why 
There's a lot of different tastes for a lot of different people. Uh, like I said, I am free. That's not one of my favorite songs. I really don't like that song. <laughs> <laughs> but I leave that at the door when it comes to worship. When when I'm in a, when we're playing that and using that to worship God, I love that song. As long as we can get to a place of worship with it, that's all I'm concerned about. You know, this, the material is just a vehicle for that. You know, because maybe the stuff I like to listen to or, like was, or even like to play, that's not going to help anybody else worship that's in their room that day. So I'm not going to play that stuff. So, so that's the thing. Can you play too busy? Or are you just going to play? You can see this like, you know, with really inexperienced players, maybe like, Young guys in rock bands or whatever, and they play heavy metal and screamo and all this kind of stuff. And then they come into worship and they try to put that sound into a worship song and it doesn't work. Not with the other musicians. Maybe in their band it would work, but not with the other musicians that are there. And so that's maturity because since music is a conversation between musicians and then the, the musicians and the listeners, and in worship between them. Musicians and congregation and God. It's a conversation. It should be listening on all, listening and talking on all levels. Responding appropriate because, you know, I mean, I've heard the definition of worship being the appropriate response to who God is. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but if if that's the definition of worship, that means you have to know who God is and you have to be listening to what He's saying. So that you can respond appropriately. You can respond the way you did last week. And that's, if that's not what he's talking about right now, then, then that's not the appropriate response. Any other comments? Questions? Well, I enjoyed this group of people. It's really good. second, the last two hours, um, what did this feel like? And, you know, if you got a chance to play or as you, as you were listening, what did it feel like? And and how many times do you have this kind of experience with your team? When, that you're not, and, and the big thing is that when you're not getting ready for something, you're just experimenting, you're just exploring, you're just trying things out, and there's zero pressure to, well, we got Sunday. You know, so I just want to really encourage you to go back to your church, to your team, to your leader, and say, can we please just get together and experiment together? Because, you know, that'll make us better when we have to, like, put a certain song for a certain Sunday together. Um, but, yeah, so I just encourage you to do that. Teach drums, bass, guitar, piano, mm-hmm. violin, cello, and uh, organ. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's right here in Leola. If anybody wants a card to get a hold of him... Um, so here's contact information for George Yellick, um, so you can get lessons from him. Uh, the Music Workshop is his own studio, and the number there is 717-656-6338. The Music Workshop is at 37 West Main Street in Leola. If anybody knows where the Teaching the Word Ministries, Keith Yoda's ministry, it's just right behind that. And he teaches, yeah, again, bass, uh, drums, 
guitar, piano, uh, theory. He's great. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Lanco Worship Link Training. Join us each month as we get together to inspire, connect, and equip local worship teams. Find out when the next event is at lancoworshiplink.blogspot.com. And as always, stay linked.